You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Whether you need a battery for your truck or a battery for your trail camera or a specialized battery for your rangefinder or a crazy toy that you bought for your kids, Interstate Batteries has got you covered. Stop into a local Interstate Battery retail store, talk with a specialist, get the battery that you need, and go on about your day. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable brian barney backcountry bow hunter is on the show we discuss season preparations water usage scouting food on your hunt and more i hope you enjoy the show you are listening to tales from the field presented by outdoor edge stories Tips, tactics, and in-depth conversations coming to you from industry leaders. Let's get into the show. Today, we have Brian Barney on the podcast. Really looking forward to this. Uh, Brian, how are you doing this morning? Man, I'm good. How about you? Oh, I can't complain. I'm already one cup of coffee in and I started on the second one, so it's it's good morning. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I've OD'd on coffee this morning as well. I've had a little bit more than one cup, but ready to rock and roll. <laughs> well, I mean, on top of it, I get to talk bow hunting with, with you know, you, and and I'm I always look forward to uh, to talking to bow hunting with you. I honestly, uh, every time we get done talking on the phone, whether it be just us BSing or doing a podcast or whatever, because as everybody knows, not everything in the world needs to be recorded on a podcast. Um, but most of the time when, we, when you and I get done talking, I leave that conversation and I'm like, A, I had a lot of fun and B, I learned stuff. And, and that's just, that's always a good thing. You know what I mean? Oh, good. Well, yeah. Thanks for the compliment. Uh, yeah. I enjoy catching up with you too, Zach. Uh, you have a ton of passion for, for Western bow hunting and podcasting and the industry. And so, yeah, it's always a good conversation whether we hit record or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it it is already damn near August and I don't know where the summer went or what. <laughs> I don't know. It's just crazy. It's already almost August. Um, so leading up into season, uh, I'm, I'm sure you have a full gamut coming up. What what type of things do you spend most of your time focusing on? when it comes time to, for season preparation. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, we're almost game time here. Um, yeah, I think I start out in like 10 days here. August 10th is my first hunt. So yeah, I I'm really peaking as far as, uh, uh preparation, but you know, if I'm being honest, like a, a lot of it before hunting season, you know, I've definitely got to the mountains and, and I've made some scouting trips, maybe not quite as many as I would have liked to, but really the summer months for me, is just trying to get everything situated and organized for hunting season to have the time. So it's, you know, taking care of my job and, uh, uh, at the construction site and taking care of the, the podcast and, and writing. I've got another article to get out this weekend before I leave next weekend. And so a lot of it is that preparation, but 
I, I'm a bow hunter, 365 days a year. That is what I think about. That is what I train for. That is what I live for. And so every day I'm working to get better. And so, you know, every year it's a, amazing that I can put on more miles, more elevation, but I do, I just find the time uh, to get in my trail runs. And and so I run a lot, but I, I don't run pavement or marathons anymore. All of my miles are all trail miles. And man, I'm super fortunate. Like I live in the mountains. Like I, uh, you know, 15 minutes and I can be on a trail run at 10,000 feet in elevation. And, and so I really try to go for elevation every day. I'm trying to get a thousand feet of vertical elevation gain and loss, 1500 feet of elevation gain and loss, you know, 2000 feet of elevation gain and loss and just get my body used to or ready for the mountains going up and down. And really uh, the body at which you put on it. And so I don't have any joint pain. I feel great. And every day I just fit that in. And along with that, I'm running these scouting trips, which I've, you know, I've ran four times this year where I'll go backpack and do a scouting trip. And when I do these, you know, they're two to four days and they're bonsai trips where I'll put on, you know, 50 miles or 60 miles where I am just covering miles in elevation. And I, I use those as, as big hiking days, but also getting my back used to having that pack on, testing my gear, and also just getting comfortable with like living and being in the wilderness, like having that be my normal where it doesn't feel different or weird. And you, you get used to all the dangers, the lightning, the grizzly bears, the everything you're going to face during that hunt. So I use those scouting trips as training as well. And then, um, you know, it's, it's, it's living and dying behind that bow. It's uh, getting that bow as dialed and fine tuned and forgiving as I can get it. And then it's really challenging, you know, my shooting and that's, you know, I, I love shooting high pressure, you know, and I don't shoot as many tournaments as I should. Um, you know, as you, you, you kind of got to pick and choose your hobby. So like my hobby is bow hunting and I save all my time for bow hunting. And so I make some of these shoots and I had plans to go to them this year, but shooting 3d targets, uh, shooting high pressure situations, like, uh, I shoot at these Western hunting summits. And these are, um, you know, the competition is beat Brian Barney and there's 30 guys that show up every time full of instructors and guys that are trying to, to beat me. And we do, you know, one arrow at 20 yards on a 3d eight inch, uh, uh, kill vital that's drawn on it. You keep your arrow in, you scoop back 10 yards. If your arrow's out, you're out of the competition, one arrow at every yardage and you keep scooting back. And, um, man, I just thrive in that high pressure. Like I love it. It's like shooting at an animal. So anytime I, I can shoot in a competition like that, or even just shooting with my buddies outside and then really challenging my shooting, making sure my third axis is on for downhill, for uphill, shooting from my knees a ton, working on my slow draw, uh, shooting on uneven footing or even shooting on one foot, the, the sprints back and forth to the target. And so I'm just trying to just really challenge myself, hone everything in, get my mind right. Like, man, we're a week out from, you know, my prize fight or Super Bowl, as I see it in my eyes, you know, that I've been training all year for. So, um, man, I I'm ready. That's what my training looks like right now. That's awesome. Art, is your uh, first one, is it Nevada? Yeah, yeah. First one's Nevada mule deer. And then I've got a really good buddy that drew a Nevada elk tag. Oh, it's an awesome. early hunt. Um, so so we'll be in Nevada. His hunt is uh, August 15th to August 31st. And uh, that muley hunt is uh, starts August 10th. And so, yeah, that's my first hunt. And then I'll team up with Dan on, Dan on that elk hunt and um, should be a riot. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Maybe, maybe uh, after after you guys do that hunt and late, what much later on in the year, it'd be cool to do a recap podcast with the both of you. Um, but that's that's neither here nor there. You're gonna you're gonna go in there to Nevada and you're gonna kill a slammer and then you'll just be able to scout for Dan. Like that's that's what's gonna happen. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, you, you you hope it comes together like that, but gosh, I just know how tough these hunts are, and it's um, going to be down in the heat where it's, uh, uh, you know, so I've been doing a lot of heat training. I try to run middle of the days, you know, when it gets up to 90 degrees and just get my body ready for that heat. I've, I've got a what sauna that I use daily that I, you know, that I really torture myself in that thing. <laughs> and so uh, just trying to get myself ready for these hot weather 
hunts, which a lot of these bow hunts take place in these early hot seasons. Like uh, my antelope tag is August 15th. I've hunted 100, 100 degree weather for that. And even for that matter, my my elk tag this year in Montana, like um, I've, I've hunted that where it's high 90s and 100 degree heat where you're trying to hunt elk. And so yeah. like uh, it's imperative for me to to prepare my body and get ready for that. Um, you know, and, and, uh, do this heat train last year. I did a, a hunt in, um, Hawaii. I try to go there every year. I love that place, but man, the heat last year, like high nineties and then really high humidity. I've never gone through so much water. Like, uh, usually, you know, you know, a couple, uh, a Nalgene or two Nalgenes will get me through the day in Montana, even during hot weather. But yeah. over there, I'd bring 130 ounces and every day I'd have to bring more water. It was like, like you could hardly pack enough water to keep yourself alive back in there. So it, it's those hunts that remind me like heat stroke is probably more dangerous than any of the cold weather hunts I do. That heat stroke can really hit you hard and your organs can shut down and it comes on really quick. And so, you know, I'm aware of that too. And a trail running in the heat and hunting in the heat. And, and I just don't want to go man down with, with heat stroke. So I really try to prepare my body for it. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm, I'm close to the same boat as you, uh, as far as consuming water, which probably at the end of the day, isn't, uh, always the healthiest, but, um, you know, I mean, like you say, an algae or two, I mean, I've made the, those camel packs, like the three liters, I've made them last two and a half or three days on a hunt. And, <laughs> Like we, yeah, that's probably not the best for you, but boy, when it's time to move and walk, it sure is nice not having that water weight in the pack. But I, so for you, I bet, I bet being in Hawaii and just being, feeling like you're always thirsty, I bet you were kind of like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm definitely not used to it. What, uh, you're uh you're the exception like i am where we just don't need much water and we are like smaller framed guys you right. know and not that i'm not that i'm four foot eleven or anything but i just don't need as much water as say a six foot four guy or whatever you know i'm just not as as big but yeah i just don't need much water i don't you know all of our bodies are different and and we're different as individuals and you know i i, I always think like my like uh the the running and efficiency plays a role in it but man I just don't, I can survive with little water and I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm an old school. Like I used to wrestle all the way through high school and cut weight in that. And so like, I've got a pretty good handle on my hydration levels and where I'm at and monitoring it. Um, but it, you know, I can make it on 32 ounces a day. It's just, uh, like that's cutting it pretty close. And, <laughs> and I do operate better when I have, you know, more water or whatever, but yeah, it's definitely an asset for guys like me and you. Cause a lot of these places where I kill muleys is void of water. They right. can just get water out of their feed. And, you know, you have to drop like this year where I'm hunting in, in, um, Nevada, there's no water on the tops of these things. And so you got to climb 3000 feet to go play the game up there. And then there's no water up on top. Most guys get up there with one Nalgene bottle and they can hunt for the afternoon and have to come down, or maybe they bring enough to do an overnight. Uh, but, but me with my little water use, like, uh, you know, I can, I can pack 150, a couple hundred ounces up there and I'm good for three, four days on the tops of those mountains. And so, um, it, it definitely is an asset, but, um, got to be tough like that's a you know that's a razor thin line between your safety and uh dehydration and getting enough water and i definitely perform better when i you know have water you know on hand or i can drink as much as i need to and what i do is i usually push it for a couple days you know living off a of nalgene or living off about 50 ounces a day and then when i go get water i really rehydrate back up and you know dang near make myself sick trying to drink a bunch of water but i get a bunch in then you know and then i can i can go you know a couple more days 50 ounces a day or whatever but it definitely is water management especially in that high country and especially for for mule deer just because they don't need the water like elk do right uh, and that uh, you actually kind of brought up an, an interesting point uh you know talking about well where i go there's not much water um are you, do you typically find that out um, when you go to try and scout an area? Do you 
find that out more uh, when hunting season comes and you're spent spend a little bit more time in the area. I mean, because and and I kind of want to talk a little bit about the uh, about how much weight you put on scouting because obviously especially somebody coming from the east coast they don't really have that much time to scout for instance and i'm kind of wondering a few things you know if you're finding whether there's water or not when when you're pre-scouting or when you go hunt um i'm wondering how much weight you put on a scouting trip um and then the third thing i'm kind of wondering is if you go to a unit and you have good success. Do you kind of try and hunt there the next year and maybe the year after that so that you don't have to scout as much? Or so how, I guess I kind of want to talk about all those talking points because they, they all kind of have to do with scouting and whatnot. But I'm just kind of curious about kind of all that stuff. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. No, I'll walk you through my process or my thought process when going about hunting these units. So um, scouting is um, super advantageous. Like it just gives you a leg up to put boots to the ground is the best experience you can get. And especially, you know, I, I'll scout for elk and things, but a lot of times elk won't uh, summer where they're going to rut. What You'll find the cows um, in areas and in lush areas, but the deal with elk is they're so nomadic. And so there can be a network or circuit of feeding features that these elk move through. So there's no guarantee that you're going to find them there. But, you know, just getting into country, finding the vantage points, seeing elk numbers and knowing there's elk in those mountain ranges, you know, that it, it, it just sets you up right for season. So if I'm going to a new place, yeah, I love to scout it. I love to get boots on the ground. And, and where it really pays dividends is mule deer. Um, you know, big muley bucks, they run in bachelor crews, uh, bachelor herds, and they run, um, you know, in, in selected basins. And usually where you find mule deer during the summertime in their summer routine is going to be where you get to hunt them, you know, come your August or September season. And, and they have such a lax summer attitude uh, they have their red coats on. They make themselves seen more. And so you can really scout around. And when I'm scouting, you know, I'm looking for those bigger, older age class bucks. And I'm looking for one of those bucks that's going to top out at 200 inches or so. And, and then also taking note of 180 inch deer, where they're living. And, and once I find a deer, I'm not going to live with them for days or go back to that spot that i'll come look for them during season so these scouting trips i'm really putting on a bunch of miles i'm learning the country i'm learning where i can camp yeah and just like you said you're learning water sources as well scouting trips you can go with less water because i may be going for a two-day or, or a, so i'll just carry all the water i need but you're definitely walking by high mountain lakes you're seeing them and and a lot of this is done on your e-research where you're marking creek drainages, marking lakes and things of that nature. And then when you're up in country, you're just proofing it and going, okay, well, this lake does have water. Oh, this creek drainage has water, but it's a thousand feet down. Or, um, oh, look at that that super neon green spot right there. I bet you there's a seep right there. And so, yeah, you're trying to take note of all those things and learn country and see bucks and learn where they're living. So it's super advantageous. So like when I draw a Wyoming tag, it's three hours from my house. I can be there in a weekend. Now, when I draw some of these further units, like you say, or coming from the East Coast, if it's a 12-hour drive, you know, I just have a tough time uh, making the time to scout it and scouting is, is super important for some guys. And it has been for me as well, but through these years, I've built like this, this experience of, of hunting new places and hunting new units. And so like, um, for me, I really want to have my time during hunting season. It's more important to have a week on the hunt than to scout for a weekend and then only have a couple days to hunt. And so I'm really trying to take care of my responsibilities and take care of everything I need, trying to fit a scouting trip in here or there for a hunt. But, you know, like this year, you know, I've got seven, eight, there's no way I can scout for all seven, eight hunts. And so, you know, you're right as you, through the years, you build this experience and you also learn really good spots. And when I, you know, 
I, I do a lot of e-scouting and I, I'm pretty much on, you know, Google Earth or on X and I'll, I'll mark a whole hunt plan on there, marking vantage points, ridge lines I'm going to walk, I'll, I'll mark parking spots, roadways, trailheads. I really go through and dissect the mountain range, trying to find water and trying to build hunt plans out of that. And then, you know, once it comes hunting season, like I always think hunting season two, it's nice to know those bucks are there, but they get their gray coats on, they tighten up their program. And so scouting really helps knowing those bucks are living there because then you just look harder because you know, there's 50 bucks living in, you know, these couple drainages and, and, and you dissect it and you find them where hunting, if you haven't scouted it, now you have to go in where the bucks are a little bit tougher, but you're going in to go hunt the bucks when you find them. You're not just watching them and taking photos. And so you may have to cover some more country, uh, but a, a lot of these hunts, Zach, as I'm going in, you know, without scouting them, or it's like, through the years, I've just built a network of all these states and all these units. And when I find a good hunt, yeah, man, I, I go back there. Like that's what you're searching for. The Holy grail of hunting is when you can get into action, get into mature bucks and, you know, have a chance to harvest one. So when I find these places, I hunt them, but you know, I'm such an explorer by nature and I love new country that, that now that's just a starting point for the next year. So a really good bull in Idaho last year, uh, really nice six by seven. Now I had scouted that place really hard. I had scouted it hard because I had never been there because I had a couple of my Hawaii buddies coming down and I wanted to hunt them in this place. And so got down there, I'd scouted it really hard. I had good spots. I hunted it really hard, killed a really nice wide six by seven, but now coming in there, now I've got a year's worth of knowledge in that spot. So now I take that and I double down on my map research and I try to transpose that information into other areas or how I can hunt it better, how I can hunt it more efficient. So now coming in with a bunch of scouting, a year under my belt and a year of doing map research, like Idaho better look out because there's a bunch of really good 320 to 360 bulls in that unit, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty dialed on my hunt plan in there. And so like, like hopefully that answers like kind of my, my process of how I go about it. And, and, and through the years, you just get better at it. I get better at showing up at different habitats and solving the puzzle and figuring it out. And, um, so, so scouting is really important. Make the time to do it, especially early in your career. But you know, the, the, the real time that's going to make you more successful, you know, is, is definitely having those hunting days to, to go in and explore, um, yeah, that's that's kind of where I sit on it. So I haven't scouted all my units this year. In fact, I have a new unit that I really wanted to scout that I have a chance at a 200-inch buck, and I just haven't been able to make the time to get down there with all this stuff I've had going on and the summits and things. And this is a spot that's about six hours away that I would normally scout that I've never stepped foot in. So, you know, I've, I've really had to look at my e-scouting. And, you know, because my buddy drew that Nevada tag we were talking about, you know, this is an August 15th opener where those would really be the best dates to hunt it. But I've got to help my good buddy on this elk tag, killing his best bull or a really good bull, help him get it out of the mountains. And then I'll get started there. And I've got a really good E plan and I've got a bunch of days to hunt it. And I'm just going to have to figure it out on the fly, like adapt, evolve and overcome. But so, so I'm a mix and match of scouting, but I, I do hold importance in it. Gotcha. That that makes sense. That, that's actually something that I that I lack on really a, a lot, in my opinion, is the like the looking at maps and e scouting. Um, I'll be honest, you know, I'll, I'll like if I draw a unit that I've never been to, I'll kind of get on there and and look at the big picture and then kind of pick some areas that I think I want to go to, and then I go. Um, and I, there's a few things. One, I'm not that good at it, honestly. Um, I, I'm really not. And that's that's where I lean on learning from like you and Ryan Lampers and stuff like that because I'm really not that good at e-scouting. And it's uh, – I hear you talk about it and how important it is. And I like pull up Google Earth and I'm like, what in the hell am I looking at here? <laughs> like, um, So uh, that – you know, that's one thing that I know for sure I lack at and, and I think – I could definitely be better, but I, I think if other people in it also realize how much that could help them, um, I think they'd be a lot more willing to put the time into the e-scouting. Because I, I, at the same point too, I start looking and I kind of get 
bored and overwhelmed all at the same time. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go shoot the bow or, <laughs> or whatever else, which is not a good mindset to have. Um, but that's, I, I, I really, to your point, I, I agree. Cause I, I have noticed that when I go in to go scout somewhere and I see all these deer or whatever, I'm like, Oh, I just want to go hunt them. And it, it, in my mind, I'm like, man, if I would have just waited a week or two weeks or whatever just came during season, I could potentially be seeing this same deer, but I could be waiting for him to get in a position where I could go try and shoot him. And that's that thought has kind of always crossed my mind um, when it when it was you know when it comes to uh, comes to scouting because I'm just like, well, do like you, you know, I, I only have X amount of days and I'm like, dude, do, do I want to just save the days and go into the unit, even if it's a new one on maybe not opener, but the day after opener or something like that? Um, or do I want to try and go in there and check it out or whatever? But, uh, there is definitely something to be said for waiting and just going during season. Like you kind of like you had mentioned, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're hunting while you're in there and there's nothing, there's no better scouting than that time during hunting season too. Like, uh, you know, a lot of the places that I rut hunt, you know, you could go scout in there during all times of the year and not see any deer in there, but during the rut, they, they, they pile in, you know, or you, you may see some deer, but they're not all in there. You know, it's a place, it's their rutting ground. And so like to scout that place, you'd have to be there during November, during the rut. And, um, similar with these bucks you find them you know in similar locations and you know once you see them up there in summertime they like those drainages and they may be a little bit lower but they're going to be around that area but you got to find them when you come back in there anyways but what it does do is like looking for those next level bucks it is like once you find you know the the biggest buck that i ever found was you know that i i'd scouted that buck you know i'd scouted that buck i knew he was in there and then during season he really tightened up his program and i saw him two times in 7 days like 14 vantage point sits and i saw him two times but Dang. i knew he lived in there had scouted him had taken pictures of him like i i knew that buck was in there but you know, the flip of the coin is I've got a spot in Colorado where I harvest, uh, you know, that last buck was a 210. I harvested a 200 in um, Colorado and, and I hadn't scouted that spot. It's a spot that I had found, you know, uh, uh, well, I found it hunting a bordering unit and saw bucks in that unit and then drew that unit and then hiked over there. But there wasn't any scouting. The place is 14 hours away from my house. And so it's just <laughs> showing up with a really good game plan right. and then, you know, hunt my way through country and I find a really good buck and end up harvesting them. So I've done it both ways and, and scouting definitely helps putting boots to ground. There's nothing more valuable than if you can go squeak two days in a unit. Um, but, but when you do this as much as, as I do it and as much as you do it, you can also just show up and kind of get your bearings and your feet underneath you and start finding animals, you know? And so, yeah, sometimes that's what I have to count on as, as my time is definitely limited in the summertime. Gotcha. So I, I would kind of like to, uh, talk a little bit about some of, some of like the gear that you use, um, because obviously when when you go in and and you're looking to cover the type of country and you know the miles that you're covering um as opposed to uh, maybe somebody else that's going in there and they're like hey we're going to walk a mile off the road and we're going to go hunt what we find and and that's how we're going to hunt obviously your guys's gear sets and maybe the food that you're taking and all that kind of stuff is is probably a lot different Calling all elk hunters. Do you want to go on a free archery elk hunt in Colorado? Here is your chance. Outdoor Edge is giving away a free archery elk hunting trip. To enter the drawing, go to OutdoorEdge.com and click on Elk Hunt Giveaway. Again, that is OutdoorEdge.com and click on Elk Hunt Giveaway. Now, let's get back to the show. So first off, when you go on these hunts, uh, is it typically you're going for, say, a five-day type hunt or a seven-day hunt? Like, what's... What's kind of roughly the average uh, time allotment that you give each um, high country type hunt? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, there's different styles of hunting depending on the country I'm hunting. Like this year in Nevada will be a uh, small two, three day assaults because there just isn't the country that gets, you know, that far back where, um, two, three day hunts, I can cover that ridge line and I can move to a different spot and hunt a new spot for two, three days, you know, where it's not going to be an all in, but you know, place like Colorado, like I just talked about, I take 10 days worth of gear in there and I get, you know, in the middle of that wilderness back in there. And then that's how I hunt is with everything off my back. Um, you know, like, uh, uh, some places like Wyoming, it's got so many good spots. Sometimes I'll do a through hunt. You know, last year we ended up, you know, doing a, we were going to do like, uh, five days and had enough for seven if it got good hunting and we ended up doing nine. And so we did two days without food in there. Um, so, so it's all different to, to the country that I'm hunting is what my game plan is going to be. But yeah, uh, typically on an expedition style hunt where I'm going 10 days, I'm going to try to make it to a water source and not have to pack all the water in there. So usually I'll just go in with a Nalgene bottle, 32 ounces of water. And if I'm going 10 days, you know, I'm trying to go for in between 40 and 45 pounds, somewhere right in there is where I'm going to end up. Um, you know, and, and then I might have to grab 10 pounds of water and make it to the ridge for the last push up. And, and the deal is, is I've always been a minimalist and lightweight. I can do a five day hunt for 35 pounds, but I always like, a scope and a tripod just so I can see what those bucks are so I can pick apart country. So automatically you're adding, you know, four to six pounds with a tripod and a scope. So it's tough to be ultra lightweight, but I'm usually right around 42, 43 for a 10 dayer, uh, a five dayer. I can usually do for around 35 to 37, somewhere in there, 35 to 38. Uh, if I get down and do those three day assaults, I can usually get down to about 30 pounds or so. And so I'm all, you know, you have to be a minimalist and just take what you need up there. You can't take the kitchen sink. And, and the more you, you backpack, the more you learn these lessons, just that right. weight is the equalizer, you know, more weight on your back just wears you out. It exhausts you getting in there and gosh, just to take a little weight off your back, you can just cover so many more miles, so much more efficiently and effectively. But it's tough too when you're trying to capture these hunts as you have been lately. Tough to be lightweight when you're bringing five, six pounds worth of a camera too with you, you know, and batteries and everything else. Right. So, so therefore, you just got to be a little bit tougher and, um, you know, try to bring those things in. And so then, you know, you're you're pushing your pack to 45 to 50 instead, you know, which definitely puts a lot more exertion on you. But it's just trying to be a minimalist and take what just what you need. And so usually for a shelter you know, bivy sacks suck. Like they're the worst to ride out storms. They're the worst to, you know, if you get mosquitoes and if you have to zip up the lid, you got to be tough to use a bivy sack. And so bivy sack, I only take during nice weather and for real short trips, like those scouting trips where I'm just going to tuck in a deer bed and sleep for the night. I don't see a bunch of rainstorms coming in and, but they're the lightest weight option. What I tend to go with most of the time is like a bivy tent. Mine is a pound and a half. I'm using this one from Six Moon Designs, uh, the Lunar Solo. It's it's just a sweet tent. doesn't cost that much. It's a pound and a half before the stakes. So you got to have stakes, and then you got to use your trekking pole to set it up or cut a stick. Um, you know, you, you mess around with the setup a little bit more, but it's a bathtub floor. keeps you dry. Mosquito netting in there. So it, it, it's a really good setup a good pad. I'll take a little bit more weight to sleep and not be tossing and turning and have my hips and my shoulders hurt all night. Like, uh, there's a reason the military uses sleep deprivation as a form of torture because <laughs> like it really wears on you on these hunts. And so I'm using a, uh, gosh, remember the name of it. It's such a sweet pad. It's a thicker one. I want to say slumberjack, but that's not it. It's a, uh, God, I'll, I'll think of it, Zach. It's it's a two and a half inch air pad. It's an insulated pad, which really helps. You know, usually I'll, I'll bring my 15 degree, uh, run a, uh, uh, a marmot helium, I think it's called, or a hydrogen. Uh, it's a 15 degree bag with a couple pounds. It's a nice bag. And I, I don't like to be cold as well, but you can cheat that a little bit with puffy pants, you know, puffy coat. As far as my layers and clothing, I mean, I don't bring extra pants. 
Uh, if I'm going in for 10 days, I will bring an extra shirt because I'll sweat that first one out. But right. I bring like a lightweight, breathable shirt that the air moves through. Uh, I'll bring two, three sets of socks max, you know. And then, um, you know, I, I just bring in the pants and uh, maybe a change of underwear, usually not. I just turn them inside out. But, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll bring just a minimalist and then – I bring a hoodie, you know, like a like a decent hoodie for temperature, and then I'll bring my puffy jacket. Usually, bring my puffy pants if it's a late season hunt, like hunt Nevada. I'm not going to need them, but uh, Are and you then sure? a, a rain jacket. <laughs> yeah, right. It's you. You never know in there. You hit those rainstorms and things, and the mountains can be way different. But yeah, I think oh, I'll get away cold without them up quick there in Nevada. When that happens. Yeah, it sure does, man. It cools off and. Um, but, but yeah, that's pretty much my gear. I bring lightweight stove as far as food, you know, I bring a lot of stuff I like. I, I don't do many of the, um, the freeze dried meals anymore. You know, they just don't sit real good on my system, but you just have to be creative with your food. And, um, you know, I'm always evolving it and bringing the right food, but I like to pack it into a daily pack and usually have about try to have 2,500 calories per day. And I bring a lot of snack stuff and, um, yeah, and that's that's pretty much my setup is just the essentials, just what I need. But I always have that scope in there. And then lately trying to bring that camera just kills me being a minimalist. Um, but but uh, it is definitely fun to capture and get some good photos in there. So uh, I definitely bring a little extra weight there. But that's kind of my setup. Um, so uh, two things. Uh well, well, actually, about, about ten. But we'll start with uh, lower on the list, and we'll work our way up. <laughs> um, I think you made a, a really good point in when you said you just need to take what you need to take, and it's interesting because I I remember, and I'm sure you remember the very first trip you ever went on. I mean, you were like it's like cans of chili and uncooked eggs in a jar and all this stuff, right? And then you got out there and you had your time and it was so heavy getting in there. You're like, this really sucked. <laughs> and then here comes trip two and you get out there and you took a little less stuff and you get home and you look at your stuff and you're like, I didn't use this. I didn't use this. I didn't use this. I didn't use this. And before you know it, your, <clears throat> your pack list gets lower and lower and lower. And, and then I don't know about you, Brian, but I remember there, there's some trips even to this day that I'm I'm about to go on and I start loading stuff up and I'll look at what I have and, and now I have a packing list probably much like you do and I look at it and I'm like, man, I, I think I'm taking this more because I'm worried as opposed to I'm taking it because I actually need it and, and there's certain things that I've noticed that, that I'll do that. And then I don't take it, especially on like a scouting trip. That's a great time to test and try gear when you're going out there for one night or maybe two nights. Um, but I don't take it and I go out there. I don't even notice. I don't have it. And I'm like, man, that was awesome. You know, I didn't have to carry all that crap in here. But it's just I think I think the thought of going out in the wilderness sometimes can kind of let your mind kind of run rampant. And you're like, oh, my God, I need all this stuff when when in fact you really don't. And when you get out there, especially if you're focusing on glassing or whatever else, um, you get out there and you're like, yeah, I didn't even notice I didn't have it. Um, and that's that's one thing that I've noticed with a camera, um, you know, because – I th I think sometimes you go out on a hunt and and your mind kind of like you know you're like man I kind of miss my kids I miss my wife I miss you know I could be doing this at home um I've noticed that with a camera if I start having those thoughts but then I engross myself in the camera whether it be nighttime photos or whatever else um those thoughts kind of go away because I'm busying myself you know and during the day it's not near as bad but it's that you know, 10 o'clock at night, right before you go to bed and you're kind of like, your mind starts going. Um, but I, I don't know if, if you found that with your gear too, that, that in the beginning you just took shit you didn't need a, but B you're also, there's been times when your mind is like, Hey, I think I need this. But then you kind of argue with your own mind. You're like, no, I really don't need that. Have you ever found that? <laughs> Oh man, it's a constant battle every trip of what you're going to take and what you're not <laughs> going to take. And yeah, 
you, you make a good point that experience every time you go, just paying attention to what you use and what you dent. And I like to bring my pack home and I like to lay it out after I get done with the hunt and look at what I didn't eat. I look what I did eat. I look at my gear, what I used, what I didn't use. And um, yeah, you try to build yourself a really solid gear list that you can trust. And I've been doing it long enough now where my gear list is pretty good, but man, I struggle with it every time. And, yeah. and like you say, you can let your mind race uh, trying to prepare for everything that you're going to run against. But like you said, a lot of times, excuse me, a lot of times you can run without, um, you know, and I, I, but you do, if you forget one of those crucial pieces of gear or you leave one of those crucial pieces <laughs> of gear, you pay for it the entire remember it every day you're like hey what about that rain jacket or you know whatever it is you know but so so there are crucial pieces of gear that you can't forget or can't leave out of your kit but but yeah it's just a whole process of continuing to work at it and like you said you know using these scouting trips using these day hikes and then using your expedition trips to really learn and hone in your gear and get a good system for as light as you can get it because man every pound makes a difference and when you're lightweight you can just cruise the mountains and you enjoy it more. And so it, it's always trying to get the weight of those packs down. And, you know, and sometimes it's not going in for 10 days. It's going in for a three-day assault where you can go in really light, cover a bunch of miles, you know, and then and then go to another spot for three days or whatever the right. case is. So you can you can affect that with your hunt plan a lot too, depending on where you're hunting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I thought it was kind of interesting when you, when you said you got home and you take your stuff out and you even look at the food that you eat and didn't eat. Cause I, I do very similar things, um, as far as preparing my food. Right. So I'll get maybe like some trail mix for instance, and I'll put it in small Ziploc bags. And then I put, you know, one of those small Ziploc bags in each one of my bags for my day food. Um, and maybe some almonds or whatever else, but it's funny cause I'll notice the same thing that you notice is that especially if I have kind of the same type of snacks each day, I'll notice the first day bag, that snack, I might've eaten it the second day. I, I just didn't feel like eating it. Neither did I the third day or the fourth day or the fifth day. And by doing exactly what you're doing, um, it, I've learned that if I take, a variety of snacks to where I might eat that one granola bar once in the whole trip. I don't get sick of it and I don't just keep packing it around the whole trip because I didn't want to eat it. You know what I mean? Like that, you made a really good point there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You just got to dial in all that gear. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you got the healthiest food in the world, if you don't feel like eating any of it, you know, like, yeah, you you try to figure out like what you're going to eat in there. And and a lot of times, you know, uh, that much exertion and, and also the high altitude, they, they, they play a role in appetite suppressant. And so you're not real hungry all the time, you know, but uh, to keep your energy up, to keep um, pushing hard and grinding in the mountains, like I definitely felt it those last couple of days in Wyoming last year without food. It, it was a lot um, – you know, sitting here talking about it, it doesn't seem like that bad, but my body had already been starving for seven days and then we had rationed our food at the end. And so, you know, it, it, it was definitely like those last two days I, I was dragging, like I had to really make myself push to get up those mountains. I could just feel more fatigue in my legs and, uh, more fatigue in my body and tired. Like my body's telling me, Hey, but you're not getting enough fuel or enough energy. So yeah, like, uh, it, it, it definitely is like honing in all those things in the back country and getting really comfortable with it. Um, and then once you're comfortable with it, you know, you, you're just so effective. Like that's where all those biggest critters live is away from human pressure. And so when you get good at getting into those places and finding critters and making stocks, it's just a matter of time before you arrow a really good critter, you know? So yeah, yeah that's, that's my mindset in there for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> I I've I've been there where where you go to pull out your bag of food and you have a day left or two or whatever. It doesn't really matter. I mean, you have time left on the hunt and you pull it out and you're like, "Whew. We're we're getting a little on the low end here, boys. <laughs> we're going to have to either shoot something or really ration and <laughs> so we can even make it out of here." <laughs> but uh with 
going into, um, I definitely want to talk just a little bit on the archery gear that you take because um, you hear that you hear the stories of oh my my D loop broke or oh my release fell out or oh I had these these bolts loose on my bow and and I I didn't have an Allen wrench set. Um, so I'm kind of I'm kind of curious what type of gear you take, uh, especially because a I know that I know that lightweight is such a priority for you, obviously, um, but b there also comes a point where it's like kind of like you said, if you don't take it and something happens, you'll definitely wish you would have had it, right? Um, so I'm kind of curious when it comes to just your archery gear, like releases and Allen wrenches and all that kind of stuff, um, what what kind of things find their way into into your backpack? Boy, there isn't much. <laughs> There's a little bit, but I try to do a really good check through my bow before I go, and I always have a press and everything I need back at the truck, but I um, or a backup bow. Gotcha. Um, but as far as my backcountry kit, um, you know, I try to find all the Allens I'm going to need. It's like usually two or three that'll do nearly my entire bow, and I don't have to find them for every single Allen. I know, you know, the ones that go to my sight are important. The ones that go to my rest are important. Uh, the ones that I find that loosen up the most are like the ones on the quiver or the ones on the stabilizers. Uh huh. Um, so I try to have like three to four Allens in my bag and I just get the single Allen or you can even get like a, like a drill bit drive that's even smaller and lighter yet as well. So I have those for any adjustments on my bow and um, then I have a, a little uh, string loop material that I can also use as a rest cord. So I have it long enough so it'll work for a rest cord or I can tie on a string loop if I need to. Um, you know, I have had rock pikas chew off my string loop before <laughs> and chew through my rest cable. So I have had to do backcountry repairs. So I try to just have a few of those little things and then I have a, a field point or two with me that I can unscrew a broadhead, stick on a field point, shoot it into a soft log, soft dirt, soft grass, something like that. Make sure that everything's on. But that's that. Oh, and a, a little bit of serving if in case I've got to tie something on or do a little repair. So um, not a whole bunch, but I do bring a few items just in case. And and you never know. Like sometimes it's not me that has my bow fail. It's my buddy that I'm with. And I've right. got that little bit of serving or that little bit of string loop where we can get them fixed up and continue to hunt. And, uh, man, I've seen some crazy things. For the most part, these bows – you know, they stay on and hold pretty good, but, um, you know, there's something you need to shoot throughout the hunt as weather, uh, moisture can affect them. And then, uh, I remember I did a hunt last year that, uh, that Hawaii hunt, um, we did it with, um, David, David Wise, um, he's the, uh, uh, two-time Olympic gold medalist skier out there and he's a, a bow hunting fanatic. And so we were bow hunting with him and, and, uh, he de-strung his bow. He put it on his pack and got a limb in between his, his cam and his string and, um, de-limbed that bow. And I had brought a backup bow, but I did not bring a press and, and we're on a different Island. There's no press available. We kind of look around. And so we ended up having to put it back on with uh, ratchet straps, which, um, you know, it took uh, about all of our minds to figure it out, get them restrung, shoot a few arrows sighted in, and then he ended up killing a sheep the next day with the thing, you know. So ha really like a lot of it is just having the knowledge and then um, really doing checks on your bow before season of wear and tear, serving separation, you know, listening for vibrations or rattles in your bow and really going through it before season. Oh, and I do carry an extra release. I shoot handheld releases. I always have a backup release with me. Sometimes it's a hinge. Sometimes it's the exact backup release, which I think is a, is a better way to go. But I always have another release just because I am a handheld. I've never lost one, but uh, my day might be coming. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I, funny enough, I, I have, I've used ratchet straps to, to string a bow before also. And as you well know, that is one interesting way to do that. 
<laughs> oh, that, it's definitely a little sketchy. I, I, I don't recommend it. Like, <laughs> watch out. You might come back missing a finger, you know, <laughs> but uh, we were able to keep safe and do it. But yeah, d- there's so much power and energy in these bows. And I think that makes a good point is really checking over your equipment, doing flex tests to your arrows as they shoot into the target, making sure they're not cracked. I mean, we've all seen that nightmare horror story of an arrow shattering and going through somebody's hand. And oh. so, you know, just checking your arrows, checking your bow. And, and we get so comfortable with them. We shoot them all the time, but any um, real heavy torque on your bow can de-string it. Can, you know, there's a number of things that can go wrong. There's so much energy in these bows, but really respect it and go through it each and every year. Uh, you know, if you're not well-versed in it, take it to a shop, have them go through it, make sure everything's in good working order, look over your limbs for splinters, and just really keep good tabs on your bow at all times because there is a ton of energy and they are meant to be respected and, you know, some something bad could happen, like, in, in a brief few seconds that really change your life, so you you really gotta uh, uh, be safe with those things and, and um, uh, make sure that you're doing checks on those things and keeping good tabs on them for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when you go in there, how many arrows are you? How many arrows do you typically take, Brian? Um, so I like to have ammo. <laughs> like I've never ran a quiver out or anything, but you just never know what's going to happen. You, you you hit a buck and he takes a step or jumps your string a little bit, and now you've got a miss hit, and now you you're trying to finish that buck off, or you you just never know what's going to happen, or um, you know you. Uh, uh, hit a limb going in and so that arrow's no good so like i like to have ammo in there i used to just go like with a a five quiver a five arrow quiver and it it's always gotten me through this hunt it it usually happens on the first arrow but i like to be prepared and have enough arrows and have enough ammo so like uh i like the the seven the seven quivers nowadays the seven arrow quivers um, I run those, and then right now I've got one of the Matthews quivers on. It's a six-arrow quiver, which would be plenty for me, but I can get an extra arrow in there. And two, like an extra arrow can serve as a practice arrow and, you know, shooting into soft dirt or shooting into soft stumps, like just shooting during – you know, these hunts, making sure your gear is on, walking around with confidence is so important. So I really like that seven-arrow number. That seems to be about right for me. Gotcha, gotcha. And and with that, do you do you typically walk in there? Because I know you just said they're all in your quiver, so I would assume you're typically walking in there with all seven with broadheads on and you don't take any extra broadheads? Yeah, that's correct. Yep, seven all broadheaded up. Um, yeah, I usually don't bring any extra broadheads. I usually throw a field point in that I can kind of change out on an gotcha. arrow and shoot that in. But, yep, I like them all broadheaded up. Cool. Cool, cool. Well, man, I, I I have really enjoyed this, Brian. As usual, um, it would it would be awesome to have you back on. Um, like I said, maybe maybe you and Dan after his elk hunt, if he's up for it, obviously, or maybe just when the season slows down, like December, <laughs> maybe jump back on and we could we could talk about you know how your season went some of the some of the tactics that you used that you felt really worked well maybe some that didn't work so well um maybe some scenario go over some scenarios that that you made a good call and maybe some that are i mean we could talk about both because me and you because i obviously i i'll be out there flinging some sticks as well so i think i think a podcast like that obviously later in the year would be would be pretty awesome if you're up for it Oh yeah, I'd be happy to for sure. Yeah, I, I know I'll make mis- some mistakes, and I I also know that I'll close on some opportunities too. Hell so yeah. Um, yeah, it'd be be fun to get together here towards the end of the season. So yeah, I'd be happy to. Awesome. Well, thanks a bunch for taking the time out this morning and hopping on the Outdoor Edge podcast. You bet. Thank you, Zach. Thank you for listening in. Be sure to like comment, subscribe, and share. We hope to have you tuning in for the next episode.